Well, thank you, Dustin and worship team, for what a, what a worshipful time. Thank you, thank you. And thank you, uh, tech team, for troubleshooting in difficult circumstances. You guys got a tough job, and we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, let me just once again, yeah, let's give them a round of applause. That is great. Let me once again welcome you to Calvary. We're so glad that you're here. If you came in after I already said that, I'll say it again. We're just um, honored to have your presence. Glad that you've made the decision to join us for worship. Um, I do want to let you know a few things as you came in today. Hopefully you got one of our bulletins. Um, That bulletin has the sermon title and text and outline, and we'll be getting to that in a moment. After the sermon, we will be uh, taking the Lord's Supper. And so after I conclude, I'll lead us in a time of the Lord's Supper. God's Word is really important to us. Um, We believe that it is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. That's what it says about itself. It is God's Word. And so um, as you leave today, if you don't have a Bible, um, you'll notice these packaged uh, Bibles on the table to your right. Would you grab one of these and take it home? We'd love for you to start reading it. Uh, Start reading the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Mark. Really, you can read anything. Um, but we want you to have this as our gift. We're just glad that you're here, and we want to make sure that everybody has a copy of God's Word. Um, And um, I also want, in a moment, I'm going to pray before I preach, and um, I want to pray specifically um, about two things. One, you know, there's always people in the church that are under the weather and not feeling good, so we want to pray and remember those who might be watching on video that are home, ill. We've not forgotten them, and we're glad that they're watching. And also, um, um, Sonia, who's been visiting our church for a while, um, uh, lost her sister this past week. Her sister passed away. And so in a moment when I pray, I'll be praying that God would comfort her and also the family, um, and that God would use that circumstance, as he uses circumstances, to point us to Jesus and to point us to the hope of eternal life that is through faith in Jesus Christ, God's eternal King. So, um, if you would grab your Bible and turn to the book of Jude, the book of Jude, we are in our small book, Mighty Message series. Jude is fairly easy to find. Go to the end of the Bible and flip to the left, past Revelation, to Jude. Jude. Jude, small book, Mighty Message. Have you found it? Great. Okay. Well, before I read, let me pray for us, and then we will begin studying God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, just as we've sung, Jesus is risen, sin and death have been defeated, just as you promised. In Genesis 3.15, you promised that you would send the seed of the woman to deliver a death blow to the serpent's head. God, you did it. You did it on the cross. You did it in the empty grave. You did it You're doing it even right now as Jesus ministers his perfect sacrifice. Uh, He lives forever to intercede for the saints, for us who believe. God, we give you praise and honor and glory. We exalt the name of Jesus. We, We turn from our sins and we want to follow you. So God, by your spirit, through your word, would you speak to us so that we, your people, would be, as you promise, equipped for every good work. I pray, God, for anyone who's at home sick today, would you be merciful to them? Would you, the great physician, heal them? Lord, would you bring doctors and other healthcare workers into their lives to care for them? And Lord, may we show them the love of Christ. 
And Father, we do pray for those in the medical uh, profession who are caring for the sick. We pray that you would strengthen them, revive them, and I pray, Lord, that they would um, in some way through their service be drawn to Jesus who, who is the one who by his stripes we are healed. And one day in the eternal state, we look forward to experiencing the fulfillment of that promise. And God, this morning we pray for Sonia and her family and anyone else here, God, who has lost someone that I might not know about or maybe is remembering the anniversary of someone's passing. God, would you remind them that you are near to the brokenhearted. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus, you were a man of sorrow who was familiar with grief. And so as we grieve, God, you know what that's like, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. So help us to grieve with the hope of the resurrection, the hope of eternal life, that even one day we will be reunited with those who have fallen asleep in Christ. So God, may we be found in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Jude 1, follow along as I read. And I'm going to warn you, I'm going to read this at like the audible at slightly sped up speed rate. Okay, I'm going to read this. You're going to have to pay attention here, okay? Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out or designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all day they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they are walk, they have For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting out the foam of their own shame, Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodless of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, 
the predictions of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit, but you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Certain things should never be forgotten. As a country, we remind ourselves of certain dates so that we never forget their significance. July 4th, December 7th, September 11th. We do this because we don't ever want to forget the value of things like freedom, service, courage, and sacrifice. These things matter. And as a church, we remember the atoning sacrifice of Jesus by observing the Lord's Supper, which we'll do at the end of this sermon. And we do that because we we never want to forget that he defeated sin and death for us by dying in our place, as Dustin said, taking the wrath of God that we deserve so that we could exchange our filth for his righteousness. As a nation, we remember. As a church, we remember. And as families, we remember. Don't you remember, or you try not to forget, birthdays, anniversaries, dates of loved ones' passings? Why? Because marriage matters. And children are a blessing, and because legacy matters. Jude today is reminding us to never forget two things, God's mercy and God's judgment. God knows how to save, and God knows how to judge. And beloved, those are the only two options. They are binary, salvation or judgment. And notice that the judgment that is, that is talked about is not temporary judgment. Jude talks about eternal judgment. Darkness forever, 13. Verse 7, eternal fire. There is an effort in the church to diminish hell to being a temporary ex- experience that, you know, you'll punish a little bit, but then it'll end. And the Bible says, no, you will either receive from God eternal life or eternal judgment, what you earn or what Christ earned for you. God knows how to judge, but he knows how to save. Jude says, never forget. This is a small book with a mighty message written by a guy named Jude. You might be thinking, well, who's Jude? Um, Well, he identifies himself. Look at verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So Jude says, I'm a servant of Jesus, a brother of James. As I've observed before, Jesus had brothers. Matthew 13 tells us the names of his half-brothers. They're half-brothers because they're physical offspring of Joseph and Mary. And Jesus is, is, um, is the divine savior. Mary became impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And, and in Matthew 13, it lists the brothers of Jesus, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. 
Judas, who probably because of Judas Iscariot, is now going by Jude. But Jude doesn't identify himself as Jesus' brother. He says, a brother of James, so we know that it's Jesus' half-brother, and a servant of Jesus. Well, why not just say, hey, you should listen to me. I'm Jesus' brother. Because it's humility. Jude is showing humility. He's saying, I'm a brother of James, but I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus. He's showing respect. He's showing worship. He's showing an understanding that Jesus is first and foremost his Lord. And also, how do you explain in a short letter that Jesus is your half-brother through the Holy Spirit? Hashtag relationship, it's complicated. And so Jude says, I'm a brother of James. I'm a servant of Jesus. It's He is showing humility before Jesus as Lord. And that's a theme of this book. Jesus is Lord. Jude calls Jesus the master. And in verse 4, he refers to the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 17, he refers to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 21 and again in verse 25, he refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude who knew Jesus very well, lived with him most of his life, in fact. Jude says Jesus is the divine Messiah, the Lord himself in the flesh. He is full of grace and truth. Jesus is Lord, and Jude says, I'm his servant. So what does he write this letter? He writes the letter, and it's sort of a change of plans story. Have you ever had a change of plans Have you ever had a plan and then you had to change your course? You had to pivot, go to plan B. You're driving to the restaurant, closed, change of plans. Well, Jude says, look at verse 3, beloved, look at verse 3. Beloved, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. Let me pause right there. Jude had a plan, but God redirected him. Just good to pause and remember that God is sovereign He has the authority to redirect us. And when he redirects you, let his will be done. Don't fight against that. Recognize that he's doing something. Jude says, I found it necessary, again, verse 3, to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude had wanted to write a letter about salvation, like Romans or Ephesians, but he changed his plans to exhort the faithful to contend for the faith that is delivered once to the saints. To appeal, that Greek word means to get in someone's ear and to say something that is urgent and personal. Jude is saying, I have an urgent, personal message. Well, what's so urgent, Jude? The gospel is under attack. The faith itself, the gospel. Jude calls it in verse 20, the most holy faith, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, never to be changed. Nothing is to be added to Scripture or taken away from Scripture. We're not to do less than Scripture requires, but we're not to add things to Scripture. There are no more prophets, no more books. This is God's final, inerrant, authoritative, inspired word for all time for all the saints settled in heaven. Jude says, I got to write you about this because... It's under attack. 
the word of God, the creation, the fall, the redemption, the restoration. Psalm 119.89 says it is settled in heaven. That unchanging word is under attack. And so Jude is sounding the alarm. You can't plan it this way, but this week there was a nationwide test of the emergency alert system. I was speaking at an event in Casadero, and you don't know where that is because it's out in the middle of nowhere, but it's beautiful. It's up in the Redwoods, and I was speaking at a pastor's retreat, and all of a sudden, up there in the middle of nowhere, my phone goes off. They're testing the emergency alert system, your television, your radio. It's an alarm to let us know when there's a threat. And Jude is sounding the alarm because there's a threat. The gospel is under attack, he says. Now you're probably thinking, from where? From where, Jude? But look at verse 4. Certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude says there are enemies within the gate. Enemies within the camp, secret agents of Satan who have infiltrated the church, double agents with fake papers and fake accents, whose job it is to destroy the gospel from within. They'll never succeed, but they're going to try. They are saboteurs. They are saboteurs. Jude says certain people. Certain people, I don't think he knows their names, or he would name their names. Now, why do we think Jude would name the names of the saboteurs, fake agents of Satan, infiltrating the church to sow seeds of disunity against the gospel? Because the Bible's filled with examples. Read Jude, John 3, which we'll do, I think, next week. John 3, John names names. But Jude doesn't tell us their names but he describes their strategy. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and thus deny the master. Notice they don't deny Jesus by name. They deny him by their lifestyle. Remember Jesus says on the day of judgment, many will say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You what? Workers of iniquity. So Jude says the church is filled with people that talk all day. Jesus is Lord. Jesus, they use his name. They maybe even have a bumper sticker on their car, maybe even a tattoo on their arm, but they deny him with their life. And so brothers and sisters, we need to remember that being a child of God is not primarily a matter of what we display or the words we use. It is primarily a matter of the heart. God looks on the heart. Our lives matter, but beware, people can fake it. And Jude is saying, look, they can only fake it so much. Their lives betray them. They live in sensuality. So Jude is writing to true citizens of the kingdom, true, the true church, the invisible church, those who belong to Jesus by faith, who've experienced the new birth, who are trying to walk in obedience to Jesus. And he says in verse 5, look at verse 5, I want to remind you. There it is. Never forget. Again in verse 17. Look at verse 17. Beloved, you must remember. There it is. Never forget. 
Never forget what, Jude? Two things. God's mercy and God's judgment. Let's look at his mercy. God's mercy. Never forget his mercy. Well, Jude starts with mercy. Look at verse 2. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, real quickly, the word mercy refers to God's covenant faithfulness. God is a covenant God, and he's a covenant-keeping God. And all the failures of humans to keep the covenant, there's only one divine human who ever kept all the covenant requirements. His name is Jesus. And Jesus fulfills those covenant requirements for us so that through him, God accepts us as his children. He is a covenant-making God. Jesus is a covenant-keeping Savior. And Jude says God keeps his covenant. And in Christ, we receive grace and mercy. Look in verse 4, he reminds them that the gospel is being perverted and it is a gospel of grace. For certain people have kept in unnoticed who are destined for this. They pervert the grace of our God. Jude says God is gracious. He redeems sinners and he gives us his spirit so that we can follow Jesus. Look at verse 21. Jude urges us to keep ourselves in the love of God because of God's mercy, which leads us to eternal life. Verse 22, Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. Let's think about that for a moment. If somebody is doubting, you don't have to keep your doubts quiet. You don't got to go, I hope nobody knows that I'm struggling. Jude says, no, people should be able to say, I'm struggling with something, and we as a church have mercy on those who doubt. God is merciful. We are his people. Our fellowship should be filled with mercy God's mercy doesn't lead us to deny Jesus or to indulge in sensuality. It leads us to to live according to the Spirit and to cling to Jesus. Notice in verse 21, Jude says, Keep yourself in the love of God as you await the mercy of the Lord. Notice that Jude starts out his letter in verse 1 by saying that we are being kept for Christ. So Christ is keeping us. Christ is keeping you. He's preserving you. He's making sure you're never lost. You never fall away. It's his power. And then look at verse 24. The the book starts and ends by reminding us that God's the one who saves. Look at verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless in the presence of his glory. He urges us to hold on to Jesus because Jesus is holding on to you. The moment you became a Christian, you entered the hand of Jesus and the hand of the Father, and you are well-kept, well-preserved. He will finish what he started. He will lose none of those that the Father has given. It is impossible for someone who is truly saved to ever be lost because God is holding on to you. And so our response to that great salvation is to live for Jesus and to cling to Jesus, not because we're afraid he'll lose us, but because we know he has us. We cling to Jesus. Jude urges us, hold on to Jesus. Why? Because he's gracious. No matter what you've done, he'll receive you if you'll draw near to him. He'll forgive you if you confess and turn from your sin and follow him. He will not give you up. He will not throw you away. He will not say enough. I'm sick of it because his blood covers you. He purchased you. You belong to him, and he will, by the power of the Spirit, present you blameless on that day. 
So Jude says, never forget the mercy of God. Never forget the gospel. Our job, look at verse 3, is to contend for the faith. To contend for the faith. Verse 20 says, build yourself up in the most holy faith. Why do we go to Bible study? To build ourselves up in the faith. Why do you read the Bible every morning as a Christian? Let me remind you, be in the word every day as a Christian. Why? To build yourself up in the most holy faith. Because we live in a spiritual warfare and our weapons are not fleshly, they are spiritual. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. And so Jude says, you got to battle unbelief. And don't just think about your atheist neighbor. The unbeliever, the unbelief you battle the most is your own. The doubt you battle the most is your own. And so when you read God's word, ask yourself, God, how are you shaping me and calling me to obey? Contend for the faith. Jude says, never forget the mercy of God. Number two, never forget the judgment of God. The good news is not good news unless God is saving us from something. And the good news of a cure is good relative to the bad news of the disease. And the problem is sin, and the punishment is eternal fire. And Jesus redeems us from the wrath of God with his own blood. That's why it's good news, because the bad news is really bad. Our sin separates us from God, and God will judge. And what we have is a litany of stories about God's judgment against those in persistent rebellion. It's a scorecard. Any sports people in here? You know, there's the win column and there's the loss column. And Jude is saying, everything God has is in the win column. He has no losses. That's what he's saying. Nothing. Look at verse 5. Never forget that God saved a people out of Egypt, but he drowned Pharaoh and his warriors. That's a win for God. Look at verse 6. Never forget that God casts out the angels that rebelled against him. Satan and his fallen angels we call demons. That's a win for God. Verse 7. Never forget that God caused fire to rain down on Sodom and Gomorrah for the sexual sin of immorality, which we call homosexuality, referred to in Romans as here as unnatural desires. Jude says the Egyptians were drowned, the angels were cast out, and the ashes of Sodom remind us God always wins. Everything's in the win column. It's all W's and no L's. So Jude turns his attention to false teachers, and look at verse 8. He exposes those who deny Jesus, and he says they rely on dreams. They defile the flesh. They reject authority and they blaspheme the glorious ones. So these false teachers, they don't rely on God's word. They pervert the word of God. They're going to tell you to close their Bible, and they're going to tell you what they think, and their word is supposed to be the authority, not the word of God. There's a reason I urge you to get a Bible and open it and keep it open while I'm preaching, because the only authority I have is the authority of God's word. That's it. And so I don't come with dreams, I don't come with a word from the Lord outside of the Bible. I've got no authority there. But the false teachers, they're mystics, dreams, tea leaves, horoscopes, palms, tarot cards. They're mystics, they're pagans, they're reading the stars. They reject authority. They even reject angels. They blaspheme angels. 
Now, the word blaspheme is important. Jude talks about it in verse 8 and 9 and 10. The, the, the English word comes from this Greek word, blasphemeo, and the word blaspheme means slow to acknowledge what's right, what's obvious. Jude is saying it's obvious. It's obvious that certain things are unnatural. It's obvious that God reigns. It's obvious that Jesus is Lord, but these false teachers ignore what is according to God's character and his will and his world, his word. And then there's the story of Michael, the archangel, who doesn't rebuke Satan, but says, the Lord rebuke you. There's all these people running around rebuking Satan, but Michael, the archangel, said, now the Lord rebuke you. And what's the lesson? The lesson is that Michael understands God's order, and he understands that God wants us to submit to his power So Jude says that obedience to Jesus is reasonable, but rebellion is unreasonable. In fact, when you rebel against God, you you are not acting as a human. You're acting like an animal out of instinct. Look at verse 11. Notice verse 11. Woe to them, they've walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain in Balaam's error and perished in Cor's rebellion. And he goes on to say that they are like unreasoning animals. They are like unreasoning animals. And so as 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 when we walk away from God, we're not acting out of reason, we're acting out of sinful instinct. Jude reminds us that God knows how to judge those who follow Pharaoh and Satan and the angels and the men of Sodom. Look at verse 11, the way of Cain. The path of rebellion of Balaam. Balaam was a false prophet who said what he wanted to say, not what God had said. So where does that path lead? Judgment. Where does the, where does the path of Pharaoh lead? Judgment. Where does the path of Sodom lead? Judgment. God loves you. He doesn't want you to follow a path to your destruction. He wants you to turn and follow Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. The path of rebellion is compared to Korah's rebellion in verse 11. And that points us back to Numbers 16. Korah led a rebellion against Moses, against God and his leaders. And this is the heart of rebellion. When you exalt yourself above God's word, you're saying, God, I'm the authority and not you. When you put your opinion over Jesus and his word, when you put your preferences above Jesus and his word, When you read one chapter in Scripture and say, I'll accept that, and then another and say, I won't accept that, you are following in the way of Cain and the way of Balaam and the way of Satan himself, and that path, beloved, ends in eternal judgment. Jude says, never forget, false prophets like Pharaoh and Satan, like Sodom and Cain and Balaam, they are are enemies of God, but they're undercover. They're saboteurs. Notice what it says in verse 12. They are hidden reefs. If you're a pilot of a ship, you want to beware of rocks just under the surface. You can't see them, but they'll destroy you. They'll sink you. False teaching will sink you. Somebody who's famous on TV, famous Bible speaker, who's saying things that don't align with the Word of God— that says things, that says you don't have to follow God's word. Jesus doesn't have to be Lord. Jude says, I love you enough to tell you that'll destroy you. Don't go that direction. 
There's no fear of God in their eyes. There's no food in their word. They don't feed the sheep. Jude says they're clouds without rain. They're trees without fruit. They are spiritually dead like wild waves. Ever go to the beach and there's a sign that says, don't turn your back on the water. It's wild rogue waves. They'll just destroy you. Jude says, don't turn your back. Don't just go along with the world, even the Christian world. You got to be discerning and hold all things against the scriptures. Jude says they're like wild waves. They're shameless. They're like stars wandering in their own darkness. They are detached from the orbit of God's word and God's world. For them and for those who follow them is reserved gloom and utter darkness. Look at verse 4. They are marked out for condemnation through their disobedience. Imagine being an enemy of a, a country and you don't know it, but you are in the crosshairs of a sniper and you're just going about your day and unbeknownst to you, you are in the crosshairs. Jude says these Wicked teachers and those who follow them, they think they're safe, but they're in the crosshairs of divine judgment. If they would only turn to Jesus, God is merciful. He knows how to save, but beloved, never forget, he also knows how to judge. He knows how to save. He knows how to judge. Ancient prophecy, verse 14 Jesus himself is coming with his tens of thousands. Interesting wording here with all that's going on in Israel. The image, the the verb here is that Jesus is as good as on his way. So certain is Jesus's return, it's as if he's already on his way. Beloved, never doubt Jesus is coming back. It won't always be like this. Sin won't always dominate our culture. It won't always reign. We won't always struggle. There is a day coming when what's wrong will be made right. And on that day, verse 15, Jesus will execute judgment. Notice the wording of verse 15. On all, all the ungodly, all the deeds, all the harsh things. Romans 12 says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Now, it's easy to think, well, that's not me. I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than Hitler. I'm better than people like Osama bin Laden. I'm better than Pol Pot. I'm better than Shanghai Shek and others. I'm pretty good. Notice verse 16. Look at verse 16. What are the sins that separate us from God? Even the small stuff. Look at verse 16. Grumblers. We've all grumbled. Malcontents. That's me. Those who follow their sinful desires, we've all been there. Those who boast and those who show favoritism for personal gain. Listen, rebellion can be a white-collar, socially acceptable affair. The kinds of sins that Jesus will come, they're not just the big things that we put people in prison for. They're the little acts of daily rebellion against God where we say, God, I'm going to do what I want to do. Sin separates us from God Jesus brings us back by his own blood. So the good news, the good news is that right now you can believe in Jesus. You can turn from a path that leads to destruction and you can receive the free gift of salvation 
and you can point your life towards Jesus through faith and say, you're my Lord, I'm going to follow you. And when I stumble, I'm going to go back and remind myself that you died to forgive sinners like me, and you will present me faultless. You are the Savior. I can't save myself. The good news is right there in verse 24. Look at verse 24. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. On the day when you stand before Jesus, clothed in his righteousness, you will get zero credit, and Jesus will get all the glory, because he did all the work. And so, never forget, God is merciful. He's a merciful Savior, and he's a righteous judge. Which path are you on this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as sinners in need of a Savior. We are great sinners, and Jesus is a great Savior. So help us to be found in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, following Jesus. Each one of us has a temptation. Each one of us has a struggle. But it is your power that can keep us from stumbling. So if anyone here has stumbled, I pray that they would not wallow in shame Let them confess and let them find in Jesus abundant mercy, forgiveness, and Lord, through repentance, may we experience the joy of our salvation. God, your word says that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just because of Jesus to forgive us and to cleanse us. Lord, Satan Satan wants us to think we'll always be who we were, but you've changed us. So God, help us to run in the freedom of obedience. Help us to tell others that Jesus saves. And I pray, Lord, that as we remember you in the supper right now, that you would just remind us of your goodness and your grace and just how wonderful it is to be loved by the God of the universe through your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.